Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to 32 Fans in 32 Days. I'm Alex Chester. With me, as always, is Wheels Wienerker. Wheels, how's it rolling? It's rolling great. I believe this is the we're on the back nine of these, right? That we've done 16. We got 16 more to go. Well, you're talking about how many we've recorded. How many we've recorded? Yeah, but that's not Correct. relevant to the listeners. No, I think that's interesting to them that we have that no. we've done 16. No, but they haven't. This isn't the 16th one that they've heard yet. So, well, maybe can you make sure this is the, the 17th episode? Can you make, make sure, sure. we spin a wheel? Yeah. We do it random. It's not like run app where we just cook the books to do whatever we want to do on the podcast. I don't think we've ever cooked a single book. If we um, cook the books, you think we'd be doing a? We are the a, back nine if we were going thirty-two to one, though, because today we're discussing the sixteenth-ranked Los Angeles Rams. So we have mm -hmm. uh, reached the first, uh, the upper half of teams. Although we've already done a bunch of the upper half of teams, obviously. Uh, although, Keith, you have them all the way down to twenty. So, not a big fan of the Rams, are you yeah. today? I'm fine on the Rams. I just think their upside is probably fourth out of four in the division. All right. Well, uh, we have a Rams uh, fan here, or we have a Los Angelino anyway. We'll find out if he's a Rams fan or what the story is. Jo <laughs> Josh Lemer, welcome to 32 Fans. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Alex and Akiva. Uh, is this thanks your for having me on. first appearance since the ice cream tournament? Uh, I believe so. I, a couple of the trivia games I was on, if that okay, counts. Yep. You're an impassioned advocate for uh, triple caramel trunk or something if i'm not mistaken yes triple caramel crunch crunch yeah and you, have you eaten it since have you ended up eating it since the ice cream tournament i have indeed oh, and it's it hard to find choice. can't find it here i did find it in the grocery store once and so i definitely was like oh i gotta buy this but really my passion for triple caramel crunch was mostly me i needed somebody to advocate for i needed one of the flavors to advocate for and uh because i just really didn't want cookie dough to win because cookie dough is such a boring flavor to me. And so mm -hmm. I just really, uh, you know, Oberon style, I was just like, I will be your champion so we can defeat this foe. So, so you went for a Game of Thrones comparison. I was going to say, you know, similar to the election where a lot of people's attitude is more their anti one candidate than for the other one necessarily. I mean, that's a good comparison too. Yeah. So I, I think uh, triple caramel. Which do you think is more objectionable, uh, cookie dough or Donald Trump? Uh, well, I think the answer to most any question that says what's more objectionable and one of the options is Donald Trump, that's the answer. Yeah, okay. That's so, fair. Which, which, uh, would you, which would you rather eat, though? Probably, yeah, probably uh, cookie dough. That's, All right, so Josh, so you're, you've lived in L.A. your whole life. Is that accurate? I've lived in Southern California my whole okay. life, uh, right. Orange County, and then uh, L.A. Yeah. Orange um, County is part of L.A. to us. 
we, we okay yeah you didn't think anaheim deserved its own mount yeah. rushmore despite having two different teams that each have won championships this uh century <laughs> well, that's so. how i really feel so i guess the question <laughs> is were you like a rams fan at birth and then you lost them for 20 years yes. and then you, or how, how did that work so what happened was my dad hardcore rams fan um his whole life and he took me to the games growing up i was seven eight nine years old and had posters of eric dickerson and jim everett stuff like that we were so we were all in and then uh if you remember the, the team then moved to st louis in 95 and my dad was so furious and if you remember the owner of the team at the time was a woman named georgia frontier and she had inherited the team after her husband's death um carol rosenblum was the owner that was her husband and she's someone that has before that had like five marriages before that and like two afterwards. Carol Rosenblum was the Colts owner that moved them from Baltimore to Indianapolis. Is that correct? Yeah. And then he switched yeah. teams and, and then, then he switched teams. And yeah. then in the seventies, he was uh, the owner of the Rams and then he died in mysterious circumstances, uh, which most people think are murder. And there was some speculation, especially with unhappy LA fans that uh, Georgia frontier was somehow involved in that. Allegedly. And so, yeah, allegedly. So I remember I was nine years old and I'd been going to these Rams games with my dad and my dad, who's very, you know, reserved. He's usually very good about knowing what's appropriate to share with children or not. He was so incensed that he straight up told me, you know, sorry, the the Rams are gone. They're moving to St. Louis because of that horrible woman who murdered her husband. And I was like nine years old, like, oh my God, no. So they, they moved away. And then you know, I grew up without a team and I became kind of a football agnostic. I didn't really have a team. Uh, there, there was nobody in LA. I've lived in Southern California my whole life. There's absolutely How did you nobody. feel in 99 when the greatest show on turf becomes, you know, the, the best team in the league? In it was infuriating. Yeah. It was infuriating because it's like, ah, you couldn't have hung around for just a few more years. And so I still followed football, but it was more like, okay, let me focus on my fantasy teams and college players from my alma mater and wanted to see them do well. And uh, eventually I kind of was like, okay, I guess I should be a Chargers fan. It's kind of weird because I'm not a Padres fan, but they're the only Southern California team. And so I was kind of invested in them a little bit like with LT and when Rivers was coming up, but I was always hoping to get the Rams back. And whenever there was speculation about a team moving to LA, like they were talking about the Jaguars possibly moving here, I was like, okay, well, I'll take it. But I was really hoping the Rams would come back because, you know, that is my childhood team. And so then they did, and it was ecstatic. And then I had kind of sort of been a Chargers fan, but I wasn't super into the team, you know, uh, as much as I am for other sports. So it was kind of like, okay, well, now – my high school sweetheart is back. So I've been kind of seeing you, you know, chargers, but now we kind of have to break things off. And then they made that decision very easy because in a move of absolute desperation, they moved to LA uh, in a move that no one liked out of pure desperation. And so basically it's like, okay, my high school sweetheart who was taken away from me because her wicked stepmother uh, had her move across the country. Uh, now all of a sudden love of my life is back. And so, person i've been seeing the chargers sorry i gotta break things off and their response is oh yeah oh yeah well we're gonna move we're gonna abandon our friends and family and move into your apartment complex and it's like oh geez so that was easy to cut the cord so basically a move of desperation the chargers were basically like cat ederson trying to keep 
the Hayden Moss of oh, the survivor reference adjustments. Survivor yeah. reference. You know what, Josh? So you're, I mean, you're essentially, yes, you're essentially living in the same, I'd say almost apartment, not even apartment complex as, as, as your ex. It's, yeah. It's very awkward. One of those like uh, famous ones, Alex in Brooklyn, where you have like the legally mandated like wall down the middle of the, of the one apartment. Yeah, by the way, I just want to uh, note for the record uh, the 32 fans' position on the death of uh, Kara Rosenblum. Yeah. I'll, read from, I'll read from Wikipedia here. Uh, while swimming at Golden Beach, Florida, Rosenblum drowned on April 2, 1979. He was 72. Though Dr. Joseph H. Davis, the Dade County coroner, stated, quote, there is not one scintilla of reason to believe this is anything other than an unfortunate accident, end quote. A PBS frontline documentary called An Unauthorized History of the NFL suggested that Rosenblum, a known gambler, may have been murdered. Dun, dun, dun. Son Steve Rosenblum stated that his father was a poor swimmer who never went into water alone, telling Frontline, if he went alone that day, he was breaking the habit of a lifetime. The final conclusion was that Carol, who had been one of the first heart bypass patients, had suffered a heart attack while swimming. Witnesses at the scene in the Miami coroner's office of the Miami chief of police confirmed this finding. After Rosenblum's wife, after Rosenblum's death, his second wife, Georgia Frontier, inherited a 70% ownership stake in the Los Angeles Rams. Rosenblum's five children inherited the other 30%. And of course, she's from St. Louis, so she yeah. wanted to get Frontier's inheritance came as a surprise to many fans, including your father, apparently, though not to close friends and family, it says in parentheses, who thought Steve Rosenblum, the former owner's son from a previous marriage and the Rams vice president, would take a leadership role in the team's management. It was not a surprise to close friends and family because Rosenblum was trying to take advantage of the widow's tax exemption. There was a draft of Rosenblum's will that was to be changed so that the team would be left to his son, Steve. However, it was never executed. Over 900 people attended his funeral, blah, blah, blah. We don't care about that. Okay. So, yeah. So, fans were highly suspicious. But, uh, yes. yeah. Especially L.A. fans. I'm sure St. Louis fans are think she's a saint. But, but it was I, a long con because it took her 15 years to move the team to St. Louis. Well, it takes a while to get those uh, moves done. I people guess, yeah. Intention. So, yeah, li- but, listen, but, if you do it right afterwards, then people are going to get suspicious about the meaning of his death. So you got to mourn for a few years before you move. I guess so. By the way, can I, yeah. can I talk about how insane it is that uh, I've lived in Southern California my whole life. There was not a single person that I've ever met who, when the Rams moved to St. Louis, they just stayed on and were a uh, St. Louis Rams fan. That's like I can some, name you one, Adam Carolla. No, yes, I, that's what I was about to say. Oh, so yeah. Adam Carolla is if you thought that that was a, a thing that people like to do in, in LA and there was people who had that mentality, absolutely not. Adam Carolla is the only time I've ever heard of anyone doing that. It's like a Seattle fan rooting for the Thunder. So he is, that, he is a bizarre anomaly. I just wanted to get that on the record in case uh, people assume that there was people like that out there. But anyway, um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm... By the way, Kara Rosenblum, it says on Wikipedia... Uh, has the greatest uh, winning percentage in league history for an owner across wow. both the Colts and the Rams. That's the impressive because Kraft, Kraft wasn't with the Patriots during a lot of the lean years. Yeah, I wonder what Kraft's is. Um, yeah, so because the, the Rams were very good in the 70s. They lost, I think, the NFC Championship game like four years in a row to the Vikings and the Cowboys or something like that. They kept losing in the playoffs. but They, they had were, no quarterbacks. They would lose like 9-0. They'd go like 10-4 and four every year, though. Yeah. Um, I think I've said this before, but on the podcast, but, Keeve, I'm sure you're familiar with the, uh, the Packers 49ers playoff game in 98, I believe, the Terrell Owens game. Owens, Owens, yeah. Yeah, so I was, I was watching that in the Yeshiva University uh, morgue uh, television lounge, 
and a, a bearded gentleman from Los Angeles was like standing right next to me and was applauding really loudly during the game. And I turned to him angrily because it seemed like he was cheering for the Packers. And of course, I hated the Packers. I said, you're not a Packers fan, are you? And he said, no, I'm just a fan of good NFL football. And I remember I'm like, oh, my God, I hate people from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> he was an orphan, so he didn't really have a chance. Didn't have a team. Yeah. What are we supposed to do? Yep. All right. So you got a so, team now. This yes. is a team that you know over the last couple of years really invested like in a win now mentality more than just about any team we've ever seen. Um, you know, they really try to take advantage of of the window with Goff and his rookie contract, and you know they made it to the Super Bowl obviously uh, two years ago, where they fell flat against the Pats. And then last year the bottom sort of fell out. The offensive line looked very bad lack of depth really emerges a serious problem. They sort of doubled down, you know, with trading for Jalen Ramsey. And, you know, you haven't had a first-round draft pick since 2016, which really makes it hard to fill the gaps. And now, all of a sudden, you're perceived as a middle-of-the-pack team. We have you at 16. Keith has you all the way down at 20. And, like, all of this smoke that was being blown up Sean McVay's ass a couple of years ago, it might seem premature. If this team is sort of destined to be in, like, the 8 and 8, 9 and 7 range, then, you know, do we have to take back all the wonderful things? And I'm sort of happy about the fact that I did not jump on the McVay bandwagon as much as Keeve and some others did. I mean, I was impressed with him, but I'm like, you know, let's... let's I will say you were a McVay skeptic. I I I just said you can't be a top five coach in the league before you've done it for a couple of years, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we've done the same thing in Atlanta with... So, you know, tell us, how do you feel as a Rams fan? Do you feel like you've sort of, you know, the, the window is sort of closed or... I'm going to probably be more down on this year's team than most of the other fans that you brought in uh i think that the ramifications of ah no pun intended yeah oh i didn't even mean to do that uh but the ramifications (laughs) of goff's contract and you know the penny pinching and then the girly we've stolen the hook for girly although i think releasing him was a good thing and uh there's some reason for optimism with uh this year's running back stock but i mean we lost uh we obviously we got rid of Gurley, which i think is going to be an addition by subtraction uh which i can get into later uh cory littleton i think is actually the biggest loss uh and from the inside linebacker right now our inside linebacker weaker core that we brought in to replace him is not great we brought in leonard floyd who's kind of you know former number nine overall pick who's kind of a bust but he's all right but um and then dante fowler uh we lost him and didn't get a great replacement and Eric Weddle retired. And even though he was an old man, his uh, intelligence and leadership uh, is really going to be missed. So we lost a lot, obviously Brandon cooks on offense as well, but I don't think that loss is too huge. Um, but especially Littleton not being able to resign him, that's going to hurt. And then we're going to get hurt more uh, in this next off season because there's going to be some contracts that you'd assume they they're going to keep Jalen Ramsey and that'll be a focus, but that means that uh, I don't want to look too far ahead to, 2021 but it's gonna be hard to keep uh john johnson um we're gonna have to send him to ikea unfortunately and uh and it's gonna be hard to keep that wide receiver core together uh which i think is pretty good right now uh but going back to this year when we still have those guys um there's gonna be a lot of lot there's a lot of losses for money reasons because of the win now mentality so we're really paying for it and this year you know i'm i'm hoping i actually think that Keeves ranking of 20 is probably closer to what I'm expecting. Um, so I think the, the offense was really sputtering last year. And I do think there's a big room for improvement. Uh, we bring in, like I said, I think that the loss of 2019 Todd Gurley is not a big loss. Losing 2018 Todd Gurley's big loss, but I think that we're actually set up better because in some ways Gurley, he played every game, but he was bad. He, he never cracked 100 yards. He was always feeling 
uh, feeling bad and wasn't sure if he's ready to go. And I think that really stymied McVeigh uh, in terms of he didn't know if he was going to get full girly or not. And sometimes he'd have to change his plans um, like mid game or going into games. Now he knows what we have our running back core. We got uh, with our second round pick, um, we took uh, Cam Akers, uh, who is going to eventually hopefully be the a three down back, probably not in the first half of the season, but going into it, uh, you know, Daryl Henderson is more of a switch guy and he just got hurt, but uh, he's not very physical. And um, Malcolm Brown is a veteran who is just, yeah, if Cam Akers any good, he'll beat out, he'll beat out uh, Henderson and Brown. Yeah, This is, this is not great competition for him. So Hmm. if he can put it together, I think that's going to be strong. He's got a little case of uh, fumbleitis in, um, training camp that so hopefully he can overcome those rookie jitters another promising rookie is van jefferson uh yeah. who's been looking really great uh by all accounts and is so he the new really brandon cooks josh i think eventually he the plan is for him to get there he's older for a rookie he's 24 so mm-hmm. he's much more people are saying he's better than josh reynolds josh reynolds obviously one of those guys that everybody's owned in fantasy at one point because the rams wide receivers always seem to there always seems to be some injury and then it's like oh cooper cup got hurt up oh, pick up josh reynolds so he's somebody who's been on everybody's fantasy team obviously woods and cup are super solid and i think there's reason for optimism the third year um with golf under McVeigh and there's continuity there with the receivers even though Brandon Cooks is gone I I don't think that's a big loss at all and especially comparatively and so I think that should be exciting uh we have two really great tight ends in Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett I think uh, Higby obviously came on and was the best tight end in the league for the last uh five weeks of the season and uh, you guy got like 100 yards several weeks in a row. And Gerald Everett is more than capable as a starter. So I would expect him to get traded. So maybe we can find a piece for that because he's definitely a uh, – he would be starting on a lot of other teams at the tight end position. So but the big question mark for the offense is on the offensive line. And we have good guys there, but the it seems like they're having trouble – uh, getting cohesive as a unit. Well, so here's and, the problem. Last year, PFF ranked mm-hmm. the Rams offensive line 31st in the league. Wait, can I tell you something weird, though? Yeah. I don't know if you have this, Alex. Pro Football Outsiders has them as the best uh, passing uh, last year. Has, the, has them as the oh, best so passing. Oh, so versus PFF. Interesting. Well, but so they allowed the fewest sacks in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Josh? They, I think they only allowed like 22 sacks or something crazy. Well, here's uh, the, they re-signed Andrew Whitworth. But yeah, he's turning he's 39, man. and it's a problem, I think, when your best offensive lineman is 39 years old. Well, ideally, the best offensive lineman should be Rob Havenstein. But he, for some reason, after several years of uh, Pro Bowl caliber play, last year he fell off a cliff. This year uh, he's been living uh, or spending a lot of time uh, trying to get himself back in shape. He's been spending time with Whitworth uh, specifically. I think they he like moved in with him or something for a little while. And all reports are that – for whatever happened to Havenstein last year that he is going to hopefully have a bounce back year and get into that pro bowl form. So he, he should be the best offensive lineman and the other spots are kind of up for grabs. Um, And we do have some depth there because Bobby Evans and uh, David Edwards uh, had had to start because of injuries last year. So now they're, now they're going back to the bench. So we do have some sophomores with some experience 
Um, so I'm a little, I'm hoping it comes together, but that's the biggest question mark on offense for sure is because we have solid guys and we have decent depth, but they just don't seem to be clicking as a unit on a scrimmage the other day uh, against the starting offensive line. Aaron Donald had five sacks. Mm. And it's yeah, some although of Aaron Donald is, can make many offensive linemen look bad. It, honestly, yeah. it's a good uh, – you, you bring this up, uh, Josh, and I was thinking one of the, uh, an interesting thing that we could be asking people who you know, are really following the minute-to-minute of training camps because that's all we have uh, to go by before the season starts is like, who is dominating between your offense and your defense, if anybody? Like, certainly on the Jets, their defense is absolutely destroying their, their mm-hmm. offense. They're pushing it around. It would, it would shock me if the Rams' defense wasn't pushing around their offense. Aaron Donald seems like the type mm-hmm. of guy who goes at least 90% in practice, and, and 90% of Aaron Donald's still, like, the best player in the NFL. So, um, yeah. Jester, do you have, a, do you have an idea of, of between the Vikings' offense and defense who is winning that battle in, the, in training camp or no? Yeah, I mean, the defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it would be hard. Offense would be really good to, like, split open a defense in. Well, here, here I think is, you know, the offensive line, obviously, that's a problem. But to me, the other issue is we talked about how, you know, you were trying to win during Goff's uh, rookie contract yeah. era. And, you know, in 2017, with McVay bursting onto the scene, the Rams have a phenomenal season, and Goff was the number seven ranked quarterback uh, for me in the league with a QB, Chester QBR 115th. Uh, 2018, he drops to 10th. With a uh, Chester QBR 108, so you know uh, a little bit, a, a little bit of a drop, but still a very solid quarterback. Certainly a quarterback you can win with. Last year he dropped to 21st, and his CQBR was 98, which means he was just a little bit below league average. Paying a, a quarterback to be league average, you know, a nine-figure contract. I mean, the reality is that you know every quarterback who comes up for a deal, that's just what you're gonna have to pay them. And sometimes you know, sometimes you get lucky, and sometimes you get you know. And, and Andy Dalton or, or, or even Joe Flacco. And, you know, it's sort of – you don't really have a choice because when you have a legitimate starting quarterback, you sort of have to pay him. But you're really going to be hamstrung if you're paying a guy almost $30 million a year to be a league-average quarterback. And that's I with am this, aware of and, this. And that's with this supposedly <laughs> yeah. genius offensive coach who should be coaching him up, you know, to, to whatever his, you know, best possible version of himself is. Yeah, is there a scenario where, th- where they can cut ties with Goff if he really struggles this year? Ooh, uh, cutting ties with God. That's not something that I really thought. Was and, and then what would they do? They go yeah, try and find like the cabinet nothing. type guy, you know, on free agency. There's nothing. Our backup is John Wolford. Who's yeah. just, never I mean, he's him. looked. Yeah. You've never heard of him. And there's, uh, that's not, uh, that's not an option. Jared Goff will be on this team uh, going into next year for sure. And, Unless I mean, unless it's an unmitigated disaster, but I don't think it will be. I I, I do have optimism. I mean, who, he has Josh. Who is the second best quarterback in this division after Russell Wilson? Um, it's a good question. Keith, who do you think? It's what, based what on last. I mean, it's Jimmy. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy is probably better than Goff. I have to say, and then, but I would no, but I would put God fourth is is what, maybe what Alex is getting at. I think you have. Well, no, you're not, looking yeah, at I a lot I of. I said on the Cardinals podcast. I think Kyler Murray's hype is a little bit preceding him. Okay, yeah, fine. I but I still Murray, think he might be Murray has than the God. most upside, possibly, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think that yet you could say he's better. You know, well, God, I'm not, also, yeah. or he's never lost the Super Bowl, yes. unlike the other three quarterbacks in his Correct. division. Yes, but I think it's a little. And Murray might be a second by the end of no. the season. No, I mean, that, yeah, at the end of the season, sure. But right now, I think as much as I have issues and reservations about Goff, you can't put Kyler Murray ahead of him just yet. Maybe at the That's end of the season might be a different story. But Jared Goff did get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and- but he also, he does have the advantage of Sean McVay. He has the advantage of, mm-hmm. even with Cooks gone, 
Woods and Cooper Cup are among the best starting uh, wide receiver duos in the league. You have, you know, Josh Reynolds, Van Jefferson, you talked about Tyler Higby. So he still has a lot of weapons to throw to. Right. And like I said, I think the offense, I think we're, we're really solid everywhere. And we, we even were on offense uh, on the offensive line, we have solid personnel, but it's going, but it's just a matter of them clicking together. Uh, and so last year was the offense really struggling. A lot of it was because of a lot of the offensive line injuries and we had to play rookies there. And then the defense kind of had to step up other than the two random games where we got lit up by uh, the Ravens and Tampa for some reason. But for the most part, the defense was the strong suit uh, last year. And this year, I think the uh, scales are going to shift a little bit. Uh, I think the offense is going to get stronger and the defense is going to get worse. I mean, obviously we have uh, the solid defensive end, solid cornerback situation uh, because Brockers who was going to leave and then he failed a physical. So now he's back. Uh, and that's solid. But the inside linebacker is a huge question mark. We have Micah Kaiser starting there, and he's never played a meaningful NFL snap before in his life uh, after getting benched his rookie year and then was hurt last year. Um, it's going to be really, really strange. We drafted some guys. Yeah, the um, loss of Littleton, I think, really hurts because the, their linebackers are not deep. N- no, they're, they're just guys. They're, it's not anything special. Um, Ebu Cam is pretty good, um, but on the outside, but on the inside, that's going to hurt. And I think it's not going to be a terrible defense, but we're really going to have to hopefully find a diamond in the rough to play inside linebacker or else uh, it could be ugly and it could be kind of hard. Obviously, you know, there's only so much downside when you have uh, Aaron Donald who counting as basically two guys on the field for you. But uh, so you don't have to have stars, in the other positions, uh, especially inside linebacker, but certainly losing stars and is never a good thing. And just having some random guys, some combination of Leonard Floyd or Troy Reader is not going to go well. And in my opinion, but hopefully the strengths, it's really a stars and scrubs defense. And now that uh, some of our solid guys have left, Dante Fowler left as well. Um, and that, that was more of a understandable signing, but really the lack of Littleton is what really concerns me the most about the defense and then not signing anyone who can kind of fill in for that. But, you know, I it's like not the stars terrible. and scrubs thing, Josh, because, mm-hmm. you know, if you remember last year on this podcast, I did a um, like a core eight, which really became a core 10 of like, you're the 10 best players. And, the Rams, like, obviously, you start with Donald. Goff is, is you know, essential. Jalen Ramsey, like, you can go, you know, uh, man for man once you get to five or six. But, yeah, once you get past, like, the very good players, there are very few good players on this team. There's a lot of, like, you know, Robert Wood's a good player. I guess Cooper Cup's a good player. Maybe one of the rookies mm-hmm. who are, uh, you know, Jefferson or, or, or even the running back Akers is good. But, like, there, there's not a lot. There's a lot of older, mediocre players, and there's a lot of, like, non-prospect young players. It's it's an interesting roster composition, which, as you said, you know, part of it's because you're paying your quarterback and a few other players so much money. Really, that, that's how it has to be. Okay, but let yeah. me not att- you, you know what? They're not attracting the guys that New England would attract in their heyday. They're not getting like, oh, this guy's here on a, you know, a steal, like $3 million one-year deal veteran. They really don't have anybody like that. Well, they're not going to the Super Bowl every year the way the Patriots are. So why would they No, I understand, them? but like the smart teams have that. And, uh, you know, even Dallas, I don't, you know, like, te- you know, Dallas has like six guys this year that are, 
playing for them on, on you know maybe under market value contracts like they really don't have anybody like that right now the Rams. Akiva, when we look back on this era, who do you think yeah. will be sort of the defining uh, lineman of this era? Will it be J.J. Watt or will it be Aaron Donald? Uh, I think it's Aaron Donald. I, I think Donald's highs. First of all, Watt is it, it just so unlikely to play like, you know, 100 more games in the league, let's say. It, yeah, because gonna, two years ago or right at any point it w- until the last maybe 18 months, you would have absolutely said Watt. Yeah, I think I, 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 it's funny because – but Donald's yeah, I mean, never really missed time, and Watt, you know, yeah. was always it, it's Donald. It, it's going to be Donald, and that's not to take anything away from Watt. Watt could retire. No, they're both today first ballot Hall of Fame. Fame, yeah. But but Donald, you know, is is very close to mortality. You know, he's he's moving away from just being a Hall of Famer at this point. Well, I, I, think, I think Watt is that also, frankly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But he could use to play a little bit more. Listen. Yeah. Uh, well, Reggie both, I mean, and Bruce look, Smith it, played I, the same position at the same time. Yeah. You know, got almost equal honors. I mean, I think everybody. Well, I think, much... no, I think that's a great example because I think Bruce Smith is supremely sort of underrated. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of the fact that he played at the same time as Reggie White. Yeah, people don't realize Bruce Smith is like in the top couple players all time in terms of all pros and yeah. and Bruce and they were like Smith legitimately earned MVP, all pros, which is very rare for a defensive player. Well, yeah, Bruce Smith, he's very proud of the Chester. Of course MVP. he is. Yeah, it's that's yeah, an awesome mantle for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, Dr. Z, who would watch tape, had had Bruce Smith also, I think, nine times or something as a, as as an all pro. Like, and and he would like to pick new guys, so it was like you're picking these guys uh, reluctantly. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's it's that's the only thing I can really compare it to, where there's two dominant guys. Uh, at the same time. So I I, Whit- is Whitworth a Hall of Famer, Alex? Do you have Whitworth in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I'd, uh, hold on. i got to open up my tackle rank. What were you going to say, Josh, while Alex looks up his – I was about uh, to say, uh, another thing that's happening is there's been a ton of turnover on the coaching staff. Yeah. So, obviously, we had uh, – Because anybody who goes near gets a job. Yeah. But um, not Wade Phillips, apparently. He hasn't signed anywhere else. Maybe he's thinking of retiring. But I think that – you know, we in previous years, there's kind of been this mentality where you have, you know, John Fossil, a special veteran, special teams guy, and then you have Wade Phillips. And kind of you had a, a super young head coach in McVay, and he had these wizened old, you know, Jedi leaders to as his assistant coaches to get that leadership. This year, that has totally turned over. So we have a new uh, – defensive coordinator in Brandon Staley, who was the Broncos linebackers coach. And he's a guy in his thirties. We hired Kevin O'Connell, the former backup to Tom Brady uh, as our offensive coordinator, which is obviously not going to be the same as offensive coordinator in most places. Because well, he's not Sean a play McVay. calling offensive coordinator. Yeah, Sean McVay is the offensive coordinator. But, uh, but yeah. Kevin so is it's just, just a but you know he's whisperer. Right. He's had got he's had guys hired off off not calling the plays before. Yeah, oh, that was on the Jets a couple times. To, uh, O'Connell, excuse me, was on the Jets a couple times too. He's also from your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to San Diego State. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like if their offense is decent, he'll get he'll get a uh, job this offseason. Also, O'Connell, I think he he'll be head coach soon too. He's thirty five. To answer your question, by the yeah, way, exactly, I have Andrew Whitworth as my twenty fifth tackle of all so time. So not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, so my top twelve are all Hall of Fame, are all like legendary guys. They're all in the Hall of Fame except uh-huh. for Joe Thomas, who's not eligible yet, and Jim Tyre, who's you know not in for off the field reasons. And then thirteen to twenty four, half the guys are in the Hall of Fame, so it's sort of the borderline. Uh, twenty five, which is where Whitworth is, and then through thirty, none of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. So Whitworth is you know on the edge. He, he you know, but he didn't become appreciated, or maybe he wasn't playing at a high until level his until his later his career. Yeah. Hey, while you have your offensive line rankings, uh, do you have Ogden number one? Um, all time? No, I have a number nine yeah. all time. Oh, that's low. I mean, uh, I mean it, it's, you know, I mean, Anthony Munoz 
was first team all pro every single year. And Ogden, you know, was first team half the time and second team half the time. So, but it's really picking nits, obviously. Okay. It's hard to compare. Yeah, these obviously, guys. he's a th- that's probably the best UCLA Bruin to come out ah, in the NFL other yeah. than Aikman. You went to Aikman, UCLA, Josh? I did, yes. So haven't you seen some of his so. interviews on YouTube? Uh, by the way, speaking of retired, uh, formerly retired Rams, uh, my number 18 safety of all time is Eric Weddle, who just retired from this team in the offseason. Yeah, and I think that's. Um, we do have a uh, solid He's a borderline backup. Hall of Fame kind of guy, I think. Yeah, John Johnson is uh, going to kind of step up in kind of the leadership role, even though he's you know a young guy drafted in 2017. It seems like the reports are that he is going to do that. And then we have uh, Taylor Rapp, um, and then we drafted uh, Terrell Burgess to fill that. But I think even though Eric Weddle is ancient, I do think that his contributions were super underrated last year, just his getting his intelligence, using his reads to see what – uh, the opposing offense was doing really saved us in a couple of a fantastic beard as well. A real yeah. Hall of Fame beard. Let's, uh, before we run out of time and we might not even get a chance to finish this, let's let's do the schedule game because what? you said that. No, there's like one minute left. Well, okay, what? fine. So then eight let's and eight. Eight you and eight. Right to the you have no feel for it. You have no feel They're for over it. under is eight. Minutes. So are you pushing? What are you doing at that at eight? I have them didn't at exactly. Did it start at nine in the offseason? Well, didn't their numbers start at nine? Well, it might have gone down because of negativity like Josh's. Well, yeah, I'm. We lost a bunch of pieces. 